This is Hashtag Authentic, a podcast for creatives, dreamers and entrepreneurs online. I'm your host, Sarah Tasker, a certified coach specializing in creative business and all things related to social media and the digital realm. This is episode number 102. you all doing today it is very nice to be talking to you I to be honest I'm having one of those days when you wake up and there's just a deep-seated sense of anxiety in the pit of your stomach I know I can't be the only one who struggles with this so I'm trying to pick up and carry on and do things anyway I've spent a lot of days hiding from that feeling under the duvet and While I am a huge proponent of duvet days and afternoon naps in general, I'm finding actually that right now it's better for me to keep doing with the anxiety, not to try and dispel the anxiety, but just to carry it with me. My coach Brooke Castillo sometimes talks about that as like a heavy handbag that you just have to carry around with you. And I guess that's my version of it, except instead of a handbag, I have like a bowling ball in the pit of my stomach. But you know, it's the same thing really. So I'm here, I am recording this intro, I'm sharing this podcast with you, and I am just keeping on keeping on. If you're listening to this episode as it goes out live, or really anytime this week, then I would love to invite you to come and join me in my Insta Retreat class, which is enrolling for a few more days, and then we kick off next week. I actually wholeheartedly mean it when I say this is the best this class has ever been in like five years of running it. I have never felt so proud of the product that we've put together of the value and service that we're delivering to our members. And I always think it's the most incredible sign. It kind of blows my mind that people pay for my product, my service to take the class. But then they send me these most incredible, beautiful, heartwarming emails thanking me for delivering what I said I would. I can't get my head around that even now, but it's such a beautiful relationship to have with my members. And I would love to invite you to come and check it out and see if it might be a good fit for you too. It has this time all, of course, of the same great Instagram teaching that it is always sold out for, that it's so well known for. But also this round, we have some extra special bonuses. I'm always looking for ways to add value and surprise and delight everybody. So We are having additional weekly coaching calls with my dear friend Sally Hardy, certified life coach. And in those calls, we dig into mindset issues, all of that stuff that comes up when we're trying to show up on social media, when we're trying to believe in ourselves and our work, when we're dealing with the threat of rejection. There was calls, we did them in the last round. There's normally a few tears, there's lots of laughter, there's so much growth and just these huge leaps forward in our courage and our confidence that happen in those hours on a Friday. And we're going to be doing those for the whole six weeks of this course. We're also going to be getting an exclusive masterclass in all things reels and TikTok from Ida, who is to every mum, you'll remember her from a previous episode. She used TikTok and five, ten minutes a day when she was able to snatch time to just record quick bites of content to completely change her life. She's been able to quit her job. She now supports herself and her daughter full time and she is just living the life of her dreams. So she's going to be giving us a masterclass in how to create Reels content without the drama, without the stress, without feeling like it has to take four hours of your life every day. 
And as if that wasn't enough, I've also roped in Helen and Katie from The Good Ship Illustration. They're both illustrators. Helen is a children's book writer and illustrator. And they're going to be talking about how they've been using Instagram Lives, a weekly Instagram Live that is so much fun that they host, to build their audience, to engage their audience so that they were able to launch a class and immediately make like a six-figure launch just from that use of growing on Instagram. So... So much value, so much information, so much opportunity to find the right strategies for whatever it is you're trying to make happen. Do come and check it out. There's so much more than I can possibly explain to you right here and right now. Head to meandorla.co.uk and click on the banner that says the Insta Retreat and you will be able to see all the details, read student testimonials and all that jazz. And if you're listening to this in the future and this window of opportunity is closed for now, don't worry, pop your name into the sign up box and you will be one of the first to hear when the next class goes on sale, which will probably be around January time. And we archive all of the bonuses so you will get access to everything we've just talked about and whatever I'm offering in the next class as well. Okay, now let's move on to today's actual episode. So I tend to think most of us are familiar with the concept of technophobia. Maybe it's something we've uh, witnessed in some of our older relatives or I know when I was working in the NHS, I came across it in so many people who were just threatened and frightened by every new update to the technology. But I like to think there's an opposite to that and I call it techno joy. That is when you are just enthused and excited and motivated by the evolution of technology and I count myself in that camp and I most definitely would count my guests today alongside me. So Becca Caddy is a tech and science journalist and she's also the author of a book called Screen Time which I would say is it's like a tech positive guide to using your smartphone in a way that is healthy and conducive to the kind of life you want to live. It's a really solid book, it doesn't try and take a political stance either way and it really makes space for the fact that there's a lot of positives that these things bring to our lives as well and we don't have to just feel mired in guilt about the fact that we find them enjoyable or useful or motivating. Becca shares some wisdom on having that healthy relationship with social media and with our smartphones. She shares lots about the exciting new developments that we can look forward to on the tech horizon And generally, she just reminds me and hopefully all of you about the incredible freedom and the growth and all of the opportunities that are extended to us because we were fortunate enough to be born into this digital age. We also briefly touch on topics like neurodiversity and finding community. And we talk a little bit about the so-called hate forums like Tattle Life, um, which honestly, I don't know. I still feel like I might chicken out and just edit that bit out of the podcast but I would really like to hear your thoughts on what we have to say about that whether it resonates for you whether you have a different opinion I am totally open to hearing that and of course your thoughts on anything else that we talk about today so without further ado here is the beautiful Becca hi Becca welcome to the podcast hello thank you so much for inviting me on it is really nice to be talking to you in real life instead of on Twitter where we normally hang out Absolutely. <laughs> Could you do the dreaded introducing yourself and what you do? Yes. Um, so I am Becca. I'm a science and tech journalist. Um, I worked out the other day that I've been writing about tech now for nearly 12 years. Um, actually, the, the funny thing, I actually worked out as well that it's been 
21 years since I had my first article published in wow. the local newspaper. How, which so the, how old were you when you had your first article? Um, uh, 13. I was going to say, like, <laughs> this isn't adding up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was on the very serious topic of whether uh, Pink is better than Christina and Britney because she uh, has such different hair. <laughs> what was the verdict? I went with Pink. Yeah. I thought she was great yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah so I, I just I just find that so kind of uh, cute even though at the time I actually don't know if I really wanted to be a journalist because I think I had that very um uh very narrow view that you had to cover like politics or fashion mm. and be in a newsroom um but yeah I'm going off on a tangent here a bit so yeah uh, I'm a science and tech journalist um and I've just written my first book called screen time so technically an author as well Technically, absolutely an author. Absolutely well. an author. <laughs> yeah. And how did it become tech and science journalism? Like, tell me about your route to that. Have you always been someone who that was a part of your life? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, I've always just been really interested in technology. Um, you know, I write about in the book, actually, remembering going to like um, the big comet or curries as a kid and like looking at all the tvs and pressing all the buttons and things like that and I, I i just love that so much and then i've also always had like a really deep love for science fiction so it's kind of all the kind of future and imagined tech as well as all the tech in my life um so yes it's always been an interest um and then when i left uni i briefly went into a kind of pr role and it was tech pr so i think that's what kind of showed me that I could work in tech as a job yeah um, without having to be the person building circuit boards built, yes yeah 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 and it, and it was there that I saw kind of what I said earlier really that um you can write about tech as well um because the standard idea of kind of and I know there are so many different journalism roles nowadays but you know as a kid or a teen the idea was that you'd work in a newsroom and you'd be covering these stories and it'd be very high energy intense and that's never like been I've me. got a scoop for you boss exactly <laughs> yeah yeah and I just I, I always I've always loved writing but I just knew that would never be me so I just don't think tech, tech journalism just wasn't something I knew even existed mm. so working in tech PR w was when I kind of saw that that existed and also realized that the only thing, so I actually did a master's in PR and marketing, but then in a PR role, I realized the only thing I enjoyed about it was writing. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, and I think that's so interesting because PR and journalism, I suppose they're not that dissimilar in the sense that you're taking a slight step back from the tech and almost providing like an analysis and a commentary for other people to kind of join in with. And Absolutely. When yeah. it comes to technology in particular, I think that that is so essential. That's like what your book tackles because we have these kind of complicated relationships with sciences, with technology. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the time it goes unchecked and undiscussed and it's kind of just, we don't even stop to really think about it. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I've always been so interested in, I think. Not the, you know, less of the specs, like what can mm. this uh, computer or phone do? And more like, okay, how does it fit into our lives? How can we make the behavior around it actually work for us? And yeah, like, why does this work for humans? It's, it's almost like yeah. sociology and psychology as well as yes. the sciences. Um, and that's like the articles you share and the articles you write, like both of those, because I, I follow you on Twitter. They always have that kind of that 
fascinating psychological human like mm. jigsaw puzzle thing going on they're not just like you know here is a review of a camera yeah it's oh got God, that's megapixels so, that's, yeah that's so good to hear because that's what I you know I love asking the kind of like um yeah deep questions about why is it that we like this and what do we need it to be you know um I always talk about a piece that I loved about um how we can design like robots with eyes that will feel comfortable and how we can design their faces and things like that and that's the kind of thing that I just I, yeah I love and and you're absolutely right it's that blend of like tech and sociology and psychology and behavior yeah yeah which is actually like the future of humankind whether mm. we feel comfortable with it or not I'm yes. just thinking I think we got talking the reason this podcast kind of came about was because I was looking for a VR headset Oh, yes. Yeah. And just to kind of catch people up listening. So VR, virtual reality. So it's like a 3D world. It's like you wear it over your eyes and it normally has, there's normally like a handheld component too. And most people get them to play games. You can do like lightsaber battles and all sorts of things. But I just wanted one to go to the beach because we're yes. in lockdown. The weather is rubbish. <laughs> I was like, is this possible? Because my brain was like... I can see that the technology would completely make it possible, but I had yeah. no idea if anyone was like selling or creating games or software that would make it possible. And you mm. were one of the people who very helpfully replied and steered <laughs> me through it because I have to say like, because I've never been a gamer and yeah. because I've never touched VR, it did feel, I felt like probably like how a boomer feels when they try and buy a phone. <laughs> I, I, I totally know what you mean. Um, and I, I will send you a link after this to a friend of mine called Catherine Allen. Um, and her work is all around making VR kind of not accessible is not the right word. It's not about making it accessible, but it's about changing the perceptions around VR because yeah. obviously there are amazing games on there. And, you, you know, you can port like, a, so uh, we, we can take a game that's really um, popular on a console, like uh, like something like Hitman, and, and we can put that in virtual reality, and, and, and that's incredible. But there are so many other uses, and it is so often in the tech press called like a gaming device. And really, you know, there's just so much you can do with it. You, you, yeah, it can be like a pain management tool. Um, meditation. Meditation. I mean, we oh, God, I, I'm like stuck for words now, but we could like list hundreds. There's so much, yeah. Like I'm looking for houses in France, so I'm like just struggling rolling down Google Maps, oh, Google yeah. Street View of like country yeah. lanes in France. Uh, yeah. And even just thinking, gosh, like everyone's in on Zoom now having these Zoom meetings. Like imagine if everyone had a VR headset, like you yes. could be in the same room together. Exactly. There is so much interesting stuff about like how it could impact the future of work and and, and, and even like, you know, close communications as well, because if some of the kind of haptic uh, tech that, you know, allows you to feel like you're touching things in the virtual world, um, if that takes off a bit, like you can, you know, um, hug people, yeah. you know, <laughs> which in a pandemic, like imagine if people had had access to that. Yeah. What exactly. a game changer. Yeah, it is so exciting. I can, you know, my whole body's like, oh, <laughs> right. And, and this is what I love, because. I don't have many people actually in my life who like share this excitement and okay. I think a lot of people are either slightly skeptical about technology yeah. or slightly suspicious might be a better word yes. or they just have like full-on like technophobia like I'm just not going to look at it and maybe it'll go away. <laughs> yeah yeah and I you know what and, and, and I think that's what I said earlier about like so many places do focus on like what the specifications are and it can be really intimidating. Um, yeah for people so there's that element too but yeah I, I totally get what you mean yeah why do you think 
people are so suspicious of tech like uh, the book you've written is all about screen time and what's so refreshing about it I think is it's not a book that's demonizing the way we use technology it's not a book that makes people feel guilty about being on their phones and ultimately you're not even recommending that people have to get off their phones really yeah but why have we created such a popular narrative that phones are bad I think um God, there's just so much to it, isn't there? And there's, uh, and I think, so I think on one level, um, we do have to accept that a lot of, especially social media platforms, you know, have been created to make us spend a lot of time on them Mm. for various reasons, you know, collecting data or showing us ads and things like that. So I think there's no getting around that. And I, you know, I know both you and um, me probably, you know, we're not, we're not saying that that's not why they've been set up. But I think there is, there's just so much more going on and there's so many opportunities. There's also the fact that like, you know, uh, if we use Facebook as an example, um, even though Facebook has been created to kind of mine all this data from us, like it is such a lifeline for so many people. Um, so much of social media is so, you know, I do, I don't want to be too critical, but I do kind of find it a bit rich when people are like, well, you should just get rid of this. And it's like, okay, that could be the only way someone, communicates yeah. with people and if they don't have access for whatever reason to like close offline communities um I, I, I just I, I don't like that it always makes me bristle the thought of like cutting people off from something that's so important to them um gone off on a bit of a tangent no, here no. Getting annoyed. I completely <laughs> agree like my stance in terms of online community is always that like it's so fascinating how it's sprung up to replace the kind of real world communities that we would previously have yeah. had I live in this little village and there's people who live here who talk about when everyone knew everyone's business and like there was no getting away from it and now the pubs are all shut the church isn't a church like no one's having Mm -hmm. that connection anymore but we are having it online yeah and I think yeah I I I, I think another thing that a lot of us I do this as well but it's that kind of um quite black and white thinking as well like because we know there are some elements of tech that um, well, I keep saying tech, but really I'm talking about social media here, mm. um, aren't that great for us, whether that's, you know, they've been created to collect data or that we are feeling like some of the kind of maybe mental health impacts, yeah. we automatically think kind of tech is bad. Um, whereas really there is so much nuance and um, it is about kind of, and it takes effort and it feels like we shouldn't have to put the effort in, but it takes effort to like figure out how to make something work for you and how to figure out, okay, why is this making me not feel great? What is it? Is it someone I follow? Like, is it um, that I'm comparing myself to someone? Is it, I should mute this word. Is it maybe that the platform just isn't for me at all, which is fine. You know, even in the book, I say, if something's not working for you, just, you can get rid of it. Um, But I think there are just much more interesting conversations to have rather than just. uh, Yeah. Which we see so much in kind of like um, some of the kind of, especially the tabloids, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. And, And what's fascinating about that perspective, that the tabloid perspective is it kind of abdicate, abdicates all responsibility to the social media platform as if like, we don't have any agency once we've opened the app and, of course, yeah. most of us, we do, and we do get to make those conscious choices, but you have to know that you're allowed to Yeah, and it's, that you and have it, power. Yes, yeah, yeah. Oh, you're so right. And it's it's that thing that I, I've seen it in so many contexts recently, but that holding, holding both things to be true. So, uh, yes, this platform is designed for you to, like, spend a lot of time on it, but, yes, you can also 
think of ways to better manage your time or use it in a way that better suits you like both of those things are true and we don't have to actually lean towards either one we can try and hold them at the same time yes absolutely and I suppose the other part of it is that anything new any fast progress in humanity has always been treated with a degree of skepticism yeah I I think I put some of them in the book but like um you know everything everything you can think of the printing press telephones um yeah countless examples there's always this kind of alarmism around um how it's going to erode everything (laughs) yeah I remember reading like some of the quotes about people that people said at the time of the printing press and how they were Mm -hmm. terrified that people reading books would like stop all human communication no one would speak anymore so many parallels to the exact things that people say about specifically about smartphones tablets yeah so are there any social media platforms that you completely avoid for like data reasons privacy reasons or are you open to everything um it's an interesting question because I think if I could go back I would definitely pay more attention to (laughs) privacy policies and things like that uh but no right now I'm on pretty much everything yeah I um I definitely think about a bit more of um how much personal stuff and how much of my life I share I think on say like um on most platforms actually these days I used to share much more uh but no there's nothing I avoid at the moment um I'm very pro people uh doing that if they want to um but yeah not right now (laughs) one of the exercises I sometimes get people in my Instagram class to do is to go either into a Twitter account or into their Instagram account and actually look at the data that they're holding on them and the mm-hmm, assumptions mm-hmm. they are making, like the oh, marketing yeah, yeah. preferences and how bloody accurate it can be. Like my Twitter ones will be like, she likes Star Wars. She's a cat <laughs> owner. She's interested in homeschooling. Like stuff I don't think I've ever tweeted about is in there. It's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. And then some stuff that's really off the wall and it's like, she's going to be into knitting. I'm like, no, I can't knit. I can't knit. Yes, yeah. But then you start to think, maybe I would really be into knitting. Maybe oh the my- AI knows me better than I do. Yeah, I was just about to say, um, there was something about that. I can't remember if it was like whales or sharks or something that I that was one of my interests. And I was like, I don't care about them. And it's like, whoa, maybe I should. And then, you know, <laughs> I spent the afternoon like reading about all these different kinds of whales. Um, but yeah, and, and that's interesting, the kind of interest from the point of view that um, I've actually been engaged twice before um, and it's very interesting to see how long it takes for the platforms to stop uh, thinking that I'm someone who wants to see a lot of marriage content oh yeah (laughs) yeah and there was a great piece in Wired this week actually from someone um, who was saying the same thing that she's kind of just been haunted by uh, wedding dresses of a wedding that wasn't taking place anymore around the internet Um, yeah, yeah, that and and I know I've heard other women speak about maybe suffering a miscarriage and being constantly sold baby products and it's, I mean it's it's sophisticated technology. It's also so clumsy and we are still such in the infancy of it all, aren't we? Yeah, and this piece in Wired, um, I can't remember the kind of exact quote, but um, she had spoken to a couple of the platforms. I think maybe Pinterest and Instagram, and. Um, they were putting, trying to put things in place that are just, um, yeah, trying to uh, make it seem more human. So like taking out a load of memories that obviously aren't good, but then also realizing that, okay, maybe you do want to see some uh, memories of, of of this past relationship or, uh, yeah, and just trying to add that kind of human emotional element to it. And it is so difficult and yeah. 
it's yeah I mean it's something that is uniquely human so it's a really difficult thing to replicate with yeah systems and I do sometimes wonder like historically this is a bit of a generalization but historically and probably still statistically to this day the people programming this stuff mainly men mainly white men of a sort of yeah common age bracket yeah. and how reflective that is of the broader human experience is questionable yes and there's yeah um there's a lot of stuff around at the moment about kind of uh, I think there's a new Netflix documentary actually about bi- uh, bias in tech and you know so yeah it's not just the people creating it that could be biased but all the data sets that they're using yeah. could also be skewed so and oh god there are just so many different steps along the way it's actually a really uh, big and confusing topic but you know so important yeah know? and once it's in there like it's in the system and it's yes it's fueling itself which is frightening oh, yeah. it is yeah <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. But despite all of that, I feel like you're tech positive on balance. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think I would. I think, um, oh God, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I think it I think it definitely involves, um, you know, taking the time to make things work for you. Like I use the examples in the book of issues I've had with eating and um, having to really take the time to mute out certain words and unfollow people. And I know that sounds kind of really obvious bread and butter stuff, but I feel like so many of us just don't do it. Like I know I've had issues with eating for forever, but I've never taken the time to like get rid of everything that could be uh, just problematic for me. And so that has been huge to, to do that for myself as just one example. Like there are yeah. so many, I guess. And I yeah. think things like that, like I really, that really resonated with me, that part of the book and yeah. how much, A, sometimes we don't want to stop picking at the wound. Yes. Like, we kind of want to see it because it hurts and it's horrible. Yeah. And there's something strangely human about that. And then the other side of it, almost ironically, where we're like, oh, I'm not bad enough to deserve that or need that. Like someone else needs that, but it's not, it's not a problem for me. Yeah, I mean, two great points there. Yeah. And that's one of the, you know, that's one of the reasons that I wrote that section of the book in the way that I did, because I think it's, it's so easy to say, go and follow a load of accounts that might kind of trigger you. Mm. And it kind of doesn't really mean anything when you kind of try and put that into practice. So not only did I want to help people and follow uh, people but I also wanted to say like this is difficult for these reasons and these are the reasons that you actually might be kind of holding on to these things and this is why it's not serving you because I, I, I just think and I'm talking about myself here as well um, but a lot of people if you tell them just not to do something they're not we need yes. to we need to know the reason um, yes. and that was something I was really keen on with the book because you know there are already some great books that tell you how to kind of put down your tech but I want it to be like okay this is why you're using it in this way although none of us are the same so this is why you might be using it in this way you know yeah and then you get to make an empowered choice about yes. whether you want to continue that or not whether it serves yeah. you yeah which fits you or don't yeah and then also your point there about like um uh, paraphrasing here, but you said something like, "I'm not it, things aren't bad enough for me to like be unfollowing and muting." Um, I think that's a really good point. Finding that balance between, okay, what is something that I should just kind of learn to cope with that mm. might actually make me stronger, say, and what do I actually just need to 
kind of get rid of because I don't need to see it every day. And I think for me, a lot of things fall into that second bucket. Like I can, I can try and be this super resilient person who can see loads of stuff about like weight loss and food all the time, but I, I don't think it's going to benefit me. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's sometimes surprising. So I, the weight loss and food stuff for me is super triggering, but yeah, okay. on Reddit, there's a few kind of like eating disorder meme type Right. accounts that just bring yeah. me so much joy I love oh, them so interesting okay yes and you would think that that could be really triggering but because it's other people pointing out how ridiculous yeah. that mindset is there's one called um 1200 is jerky so there's a there's a subreddit <laughs> called 1200 is plenty and this is oh, like okay. kind of a response to that and the people yeah. in it are so deadpan, but they'll be like, uh, yeah. I walked into Costco today and I inhaled the bakery smell. How many calories should I log on my fitness pal? And yeah. everyone's replying being like, I think to be safe, you know, think about your base <laughs> metabolic rate. And like <laughs> just speaking that language that that so many of us have been immersed in. Oh, yeah. Previously. Yeah. And there is something great about making kind of light of that and also kind of uh cathartic uh, yeah. seeing other people going through the same thing and yeah, yeah yeah it's that power of community and that power of kind of finding like-minded people yeah okay so that's really interesting to what we were saying a minute ago about like getting rid of memories it's like we're not we're not trying to get rid of every mention of something but it's about being really deliberate about what it isn't isn't that helps you yeah. I think yeah. yeah and you kind of have to switch your prefrontal cortex on and and choose like yeah. if you stay passive and this is such a message I took from the book like when we are passively engaging oh, with technology yeah. that's when it all goes wrong and as long yes. as we are active and we are intentional then we can make use of all the good stuff it seems like and and leave behind the rest yeah god, god that was such a because obviously there's a lot in the book that I kind of either knew or like vaguely knew I'd cover before I did it. Um, that is some research that like really hit me hard <laughs> because I do find that I can be passively just scrolling and it's always when I'm feeling extremely low. Yeah. Um, and like I say in the book, I really, I'm really not suggesting if you're passively scrolling, you need to like start messaging loads of people or um, suddenly become this super sociable person. It's, it's just about realizing, okay, this actually isn't serving me right now. What, what could be? And maybe it's, I, I think I say in the book, I mentioned Pinterest too much in the book, but um, maybe it is like staying on your screen and just doing something different, like going on Pinterest and like immersing yourself in the colors and the creativity and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's interesting, isn't it? Like, passively scrolling on Pinterest has a very different flavor to passively yes. scrolling on Instagram absolutely yeah. yeah and why is that like you have to kind of pick it apart and and the different reasons that people share on those platforms create a different response in us as humans yeah 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 god that's so yes yes that's kind of obvious but I've never actually thought of it in no, the way me either. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> one definitely feels a lot more nourishing than the other um and I guess like I sort of think I'll often speak to people who are very passive on Instagram and have been for years, people who have never uh, posted, but are on there oh, okay. hours a day. Yeah. And I kind of liken it to, it's like being in a party with all of your friends and everyone's <laughs> in groups <laughs> chatting and you're just kind of walking around, listening, watching yeah. everyone else have fun, but not letting yourself jump in. And as an introvert, I kind of relate to that because I'll be in the kitchen with the cats for sure. 
but <laughs> they're not even talking to the cats. <laughs> they're not even stroking yeah. the cats. They're just looking at them as well and going, oh, they look nice. <laughs> yeah, God, isn't it interesting? And I, I have definitely been through periods of like that, I think. Um, like I said before, I, I really shared a lot on social media. I was like, uh, you know, the kind of person that would just put up like a, a selfie a day or something. Yeah. Um, uh, quite a long time ago, but now maybe like five or six years ago. Um, and I remember when I realized I kind of didn't want that for myself anymore, but didn't know what I did want. I went through stages of just, yeah, being extremely passive. And I think it's probably when my, I don't always like saying relationship with my phone, but when my relationship with, with tech was probably at its worst, I think. Yeah. 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 I've definitely kind of gone on a bit of a bit of a journey I hate that expression it's so cheesy (laughs) bit of a journey in the last couple of years with my own kind of posting habits my feelings around visibility right um and one of the things that I've really been doing like if you look if you look at my social media for the last 12 months I've not really been posting but I have been just as active as ever but just in places where I'm completely anonymous yes okay like reddit where yeah you can have four different accounts no one's ever gonna know who you are in real life and yeah still get that human connection still get like a comment that's massively upvoted and awarded and you're you're really having those conversations and that sense of community but it's been kind of a relief to take a, a take a break from I don't even know like the maintenance of a public persona yeah I can I can even tell from like the way you're talking about it that it has felt like a bit of a much needed breather yeah 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 yeah. Where do you hang out online? What are your favorite places? Um, yeah, I spend a lot of time on, I spend a lot of time on Pinterest. Um, I'm on Twitter a lot, actually. Um, and again, I think, mm, I think it was writing the book. Um, it was, I wrote it in a very short amount of time. It was, um, just under six months, um, which with the level of research felt very difficult. <laughs> um, so I had to be extremely strict or strict as I could be with, um, other work I did and, and spending time online. And I think um, I really cut back on on being on social media much when I was writing the book because I just kind of couldn't risk not getting it done. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel It's kind like, of ironic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I really had to, you know, practice what I uh, preached throughout that time, which is, you know, a good thing. Yeah. Um, but uh, yes, yeah, so yeah, mostly Twitter, uh, Twitter and Pinterest, and then just different uses, you know, like a lot of my family is still on Facebook, even though I don't use it regularly like I do for Twitter. Um, I, I'm on Reddit quite a lot, actually. It's weird. I'm, I'm quite like, uh, yeah, I am a, more of a lurker on Reddit. I like mm. reading a lot of the kind of um, uh, sci-fi short stories and creepy short stories and stuff like that. Um, so I, I, I kind of guess I get different things from a lot of different places. Which um, is that intentionality again, isn't it? Mm, it's kind of yeah. picking the menu and choosing the different ways that you're going to nourish yourself. Yes. Yeah. I've re- oh, I've really been enjoying Pinterest for like mood boards and stuff as well. Like um, I'm maybe kind of moving into like some fiction writing just on the side at the moment and um, creating mood boards on Pinterest has been so exciting and great. <laughs> yeah. And what about technology outside of the kind of the online social media world? What, what, how does technology look in your life? Do you have like home automation? Are you an embracer of that kind of thing? Yeah, I am. Um, so home automation, I am a little bit better at thinking about um, data and privacy than I am on social media, probably just because it came later when I was much more switched on to that. Um, so I just had to do a lot of weighing up um, of what's kind of worth it. And... 
I'm quite um, jumpy about people coming to the door, just always kind of have been. Um, and so I had a big kind of, should we get a ring um, camera, a ring doorbell, with the camera on it. Um, I remember having such a kind of like pros and cons list and stuff. And for me, it's absolutely been worth it. Um, there are huge issues with uh, video kind of security around the house. Um, so I, you know, I definitely urge everyone to like think about it and if it's worth it for them, cause I know it has been for me. Uh, another thing that is so important for me is loads of smart light bulbs. Oh. And I, ha I have them pretty much everywhere. And, um, cause I'm quite, uh, sensitive to, uh, sensory stuff and controlling light and color. Uh, it's just been amazing for me. Um, and I have kind of like different, um, I can't remember what they're called now, but like profiles around the house. So there's one that's like sunset. I've got a pink one on the other side of the room now because I find it really calming. So I have them everywhere. Um, and I also, because I've just very much got into baths recently, hmm. um, I also have a smart light bulb in the bathroom, which is just incredible. Um, yeah, so I can like make it all red or green and feel like I'm in some like alien pod or something. <laughs> I don't know. I never even considered smart light bulbs like yeah I was kind of like what's the point of them but you've sold me <laughs> yeah oh god I feel like you would love them and also something that I love is like um uh what am I trying to say like uh, creating a gradient across the room so like um having I don't know like pink on one side and blue on the other so then you get this like lovely purple in the middle oh, um like a spa it's like a yeah, spa. like a spa, yes, yeah, and um, and there are you know there are way cooler things that you can do like set rules for when you come in the house and then one comes on and things like that, and um, I think all that stuff is incredibly cool. I sometimes find keeping, getting all the fancy tech, but then keeping some things quite simple actually suits me better. Um, but yes, yeah, so smart light bulbs, I'd say, is my main like uh the thing that I couldn't do that. you really embrace um you're making me think of there is an automation subreddit of course oh. and the people in there are like they hack it to the nth degree they'll have it like so it opens their shower curtain for them in the morning <laughs> and like <laughs> turns the shower on and yeah um, they would definitely need to live a more predictable life than I do for any of that to be useful <laughs> yeah and I think there's loads of stuff you can do with um I'm not sure if it's called if this and that anymore um but do you oh, know yeah if yeah 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 um so I think there's loads of stuff you can do with that and you know combine different apps and smart lights that you would never officially be able to kind of combine but that allows you to so yeah there's loads of cool stuff and then also um now I haven't used it much recently but I uh I had the oculus quest um, that's the one I ended up buying great okay so um I I love that a lot um I I went through a stage again not recently which is interesting I don't know what it is about what I'm going through right now but um I used to just kind of sit in tilt brush invite like space environments and just like paint neon lights around me and things like that as a way to calm down so um that's something that I also love it's really yeah like it's really interesting to hear how you're using it in ways that I think people are going to be really relating to whereas when you hear the idea of home automation, a lot of the time I think of my ex-boyfriend who got his blinds to open when he clapped his hands. <laughs> he just never appealed to me. I was like, well, yeah. why would you spend hundreds of pounds on that? Like, just oh, use the yeah. string. It's fine. Yeah. And what's interesting about that is like, um, now I say it in the book in relation to like fitness trackers, because uh, I do actually use um, I have a Fitbit Versa as well, which mm. I've got on now, which I like. Um, but that idea of what it's, uh, 
uh, let me get this right, what it's designed to do or what like it'll say it can do in the marketing messages and then what you use it for. Um, so like I actually think the hue lights, there is a huge element that is kind of like appealing to uh, people that like playing with color and light and calming yeah. them down and stuff. So I'm not saying that's not the aim of that, but um, I think it is about like finding what works for you and uh, I know I've said that a lot in so yeah, many respects. Yeah, but, but you're it, right. And and so a lot of the time, the marketing messaging might not even be targeted. At, a bit like me with the VR headset. Yes. No that, one's selling yeah. it as that. But yeah. the technology exists, so you can kind of go, oh, but what if what if yeah. that would work for me? And, and kind of picking and choosing because of that. Exactly. Yeah, that's so, so true. Yeah, yeah. And, and I really feel like that with the fitness trackers, you know, I kind of say in the book, like, you don't have to wear this all the time. And I know the whole appeal is that you can wear it all the time. And it says wear it 24 seven, but you don't have to. <laughs> yeah. And I thought that was so important. I don't know how much you've kind of um, immersed in the intuitive eating movement. But like one of the key things about that as kind of a recovery from issues around food is like paying attention to your body yourself Mm -hmm. not relying on external measures of like have I moved enough today have I had enough sleep because as humans we kind of know or we should be able to tell and when we can't sometimes that's something that we have to work on like to tune back into ourselves and and I think you're right that it's so nuanced because those devices can help in the sense that you can go oh okay this is how I feel when I've not had enough sleep the device says I've not had enough and I can track like what that feels like but it's very easy to slip over the edge into like I don't need to know if I've had enough sleep because my watch is going to tell me yeah yeah and and yeah I I really agree I think it's and it is so at odds with a lot of the kind of intuitive eating intuitive movement stuff around at the moment um because because I guess Uh, something that I know from kind of like um being an eating disorder recovery is that thing of like trust like learning to trust yourself and and I guess this is what intuitive eating is all about actually um but like learning to notice like your hunger cues and things like that and if we are outsourcing a lot of our uh our feeling almost like our biological cues yes outsourcing them to devices yeah 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 and you know it, it it's it, it's difficult because um I remember when I first started in recovery a big thing was scheduled eating yeah. um because the whole idea is kind of like that uh we were actually encouraged to try intuitive eating but after a while after we kind of like learned how to eat again yeah. so it's like we had to do the scheduled eating before we can move into the intuitive eating so I actually found my fitness tracker really helpful for that which feels a little bit at odds to what we're saying but it's like well no it's like not doing it all the time or realizing that that's just a, a means to get you to trust yourself more and learn the hunger cues more like you don't have to schedule everything does that make sense yeah it, <laughs> it's kind of the active versus, versus passive again isn't it like yes yeah in the end I think that's what it's coming back to on every front like making really conscious choices and staying yeah. in that conscious place because they're, they're tools to help us they're not tools to live our life for us yes. as much as I yeah. would sometimes would quite like it if I could <laughs> just you know turn off and let let the computers do it for a few days yeah 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 how much did you come across research I mean there's such a popular narrative about technology causing addiction screen time giving everybody ADHD is there evidence to support that um yeah so there's bits and pieces and um uh I I keep saying this 
but like um it's really true that there's just so much nuance so like mm. it's very much dependent on the person it's very much dependent on like the behavior and the time so kind of what I mean by behavior is like um again I'm talking about like more like kind of maybe like tabloid press here but that whole like Facebook causes addiction or your phones mm. cause depress depression like there are that there is some kind of correlation there but you know we don't know if it's causation and even if we did it's just way too broad so um if we use facebook as an example and it, you know if we start saying facebook is bad and especially kind of in the realm of kids and teens which is such a huge thing that i don't cover much in the book but as an example let's say that like you're worried about a teen being on facebook so you ban facebook what you kind of miss out on there is all the like really important conversations around like yeah. okay what was it yeah what was it about facebook like were you being bullied on Facebook? Was it that you were kind of comparing yourself to other people? Were you just spending too much time on it? Because over the past year, I've encouraged people to not focus too much on time because, you know, everyone's screen time is up. But at the same time, that is quite a big indicator of um, of like well-being. And that is something that uh, researchers see and what's really interesting I think there's a study I think it was was just called the Goldilocks study where it was like if you spend way too much time on Facebook you can feel worse and then there's this sweet spot in the middle and then if you don't spend any time at all especially as a teen or a young person um you could actually have the same kind of uh, negative effects as if you spent too much time on it because you yeah. would feel connected. yeah so I, that that's so interesting so so yeah that's that's my big thing and it's not you know uh, I read a, I shouldn't have, but I read a review of the book uh, the other day and it was a really nice review, but it kind of said, um, I don't fall on either side of tech is good or tech is bad as if that was a negative. And it's like, no, no, that's the whole point. Like <laughs> I'm not, I'm not saying like, um, and I get that maybe some people wanted that and you know, I'm not, uh, not making fun of what they wanted, but at the same time, it's like, that's, that's the point really that these things aren't good or bad. Um, and if there is something bad, saying I keep saying bad it's not really right but like if there is something that's negatively affecting us we really do need to understand what that is a bit better because otherwise with the kind of banning Facebook example that team could just notice all the same problems again somewhere else so then you just keep banning platforms or saying they're bad and like it's the behavior that you're noticing elsewhere yes yes uh, and you're also missing the piece then I guess of like what does it give you because oh yeah it's yeah. a coping mechanism like I think this year has taught all of us how much the digital realm can be a coping mechanism for us and if you just rip it away from yourself mm -hmm. or from your kids or whoever like that's gonna have to be replaced by something else yes yeah and and you know that works that is so true on so many levels um like um taken to a really extreme level I, I don't think I put it in the book but I found some research around kind of um pro eating disorder communities mm. saying that like uh you know the immediate the, the immediate reaction will be okay we need to ban this but actually that that is such a source of community for some people yeah. there and although they might be learning really you know really kind of bad coping strategies and things that aren't helping them if you just strip that away then they, they do really lose something as well. So it's really not clear cut, even for something like that, that would sound obviously bad. Yeah. You know? Well, and it's handled as such, like a lot of the social media platforms just outright delete anything like that they find now yeah. as a response to their kind of like social responsibility. Yeah. But you're right. It's a very simplistic solution. And and I've 
I've commented before in the press, I think, when, you know, there's been really tragic cases of children taking their own lives or harming themselves and they've been found to be consuming this content on something like right. Instagram. Yeah. Um, and I say, like, but at least it's a warning sign. Like, if you're mm. an engaged parent who is familiar with the technology and, and able to look at what your child is looking at and have those conversations, that is an opportunity that you wouldn't otherwise get. Like when yeah. we were growing up, there was it there was nothing that our parents could find that would yeah. that would give the the game away in that sense. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah, I totally agree with you. And it's, you know, and and again there are so many different sides of it and I know, know that like um it's so normal that we always seem to want an easy answer, but for stuff like that, there just isn't. Yeah, the internet as a whole is kind of like, we can't put the toothpaste back in the tube now. Like, yeah. we have to deal with this. <laughs> yeah. And I think I, I just, I really appreciate you talking about that nuance and those both sides of it, because I think it's very easy to just hear the negative and kind of not really pause to consider that actually it has, obviously it helps us and it makes us feel better or else we wouldn't be doing it. Yeah, and that's you know what that's why I um I ended up dedicating like the whole first chapter to like this idea of are we addicted, um, because I'm sure you'll agree with me on this, but I feel like like the words we use to describe like ourselves and the way we behave in the world are really important. Mm. So I, I kind of argue in the book that at least not yet, the, um, sorry, not yet, um, <laughs> we can't say we're addicted yet to these things maybe one day someone will but like officially we're not so for now I really don't feel like that language is helpful because it implies like it implies toxicity and need Mm. to detox and a a few people have said to me but aren't we just kind of using it in just like a colloquial way and it's like well yeah absolutely but we're talking about it all the time we're using it all the time so I think it matters more than saying like uh I can't remember what example I used in the book but being like addicted to quality streets or something I think I said yeah yeah um but like it's different to that because like uh, yes yeah yeah well I I think maybe because you talked about your relationship with food in the book so openly as well but like I quite often like my brain was making that connection of how Mm. when we restrict on food it inevitably leads to a binge like and it makes our relationship with it more unhealthy and ultimately kind of like sets us up for more problems down the line not less but we think we're doing the right thing in the moment we're like I'll just I'll just resist I'll resist I'll resist and that seems to be borne out in the way that when people try not to use their phones they end up you know increasing their unhealthy relationship with it yeah I'm really glad you said that because um I think I shied away a little bit of comparing um internet and tech use to food because I'm aware that I do that a lot because of my background Mm. but I'm really glad that you said that because I think we can draw a lot of comparisons because with you you know in exactly the way you just said I think when we have that kind of tense we need to give up relationship with anything um it's not healthy but especially when it's something like food or tech that we can't technically ever just get rid of so like another addiction you know you you can just never smoke again or yes yeah yeah exactly and so this this does require a different kind of um a different way of navigating it in the same way that recovering from anything kind of food related would yeah that level of acceptance and finding peace with it mm. within as a part of your life an inevitable yes. part of your life I totally yeah. agree so obviously people need to buy the book but <laughs> could you give us some like quick insights that you really came away from your research and from writing the book with about what 
helps people have a healthy relationship with technology? I think um I think the actively passive stuff is really important. Um I know we've already covered that, but I'd really recommend that people uh, read into that a little bit but also just try and like label it when, when when you feel like you're doing it and you don't even have to stop doing it I think that's really important mm. if you just kind of realize wow I'm being pretty passive right now like even that in itself I think is kind of powerful and yes. I, I think I'm pretty sure that's um I don't know if I mentioned it in the book actually but it's kind of like a mindfulness technique of like well I'm feeling sad it doesn't mean you have to not feel sad it's just like you're building that it, yeah and again that's yeah. that acceptance isn't it of like oh, when I do this, this happens, but I can choose it. And sometimes yes. I might want to choose it. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, I think that's a really good step. Um, I also think um, there's quite a lot in the book about, like, emotional regulation. So we've, we've spoken about that a lot, really, but, like, turning to tech when we feel mm. certain ways. And then there's um, a bit about emotional contagion. So, like, the idea that we actually pick up on a lot of emotions um, in our day-to-day lives, which is a great thing. And, you know, we've evolved to do that. <laughs> it's like the building blocks of empathy, I think, it's, is one way of describing it. But that can happen a lot online. And I think it happens a lot without us really knowing it, especially yeah. if it's just like some tweet that you might have even only just like vaguely looked at and scrolled past. Like um, there is research to suggest that that can still have an effect on you. Isn't that fascinating? And maybe it's we have so no idea it's happening. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like, you know, it's still really early days for that research, but I bet that even the stuff that, yeah, even the stuff that we couldn't even remember seeing might have an impact on us. Like, that's what I'm kind of getting. But yeah, still early days. So I'm, oh, I'm, I find that so fascinating. Yeah. And it kind of makes sense if you think like you're, we're a chimpanzee pre evolution um, or an ape or whatever we were, and you're walking past all the other chimps and they all look miserable. Even yes. if you're not really looking at them, something in your brain is going to be like, this is not a happy place. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, yeah, that's so true. And and again, that thing of us all being different. So I know I'm an extremely sensitive person. So I imagine anyone else who is quite sensitive is going to feel that so much more. True. Um, yeah. Especially if you're yeah. like constantly scanning the world like I am. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, uh, that would actually be another really big point I'd make that um, we're all really different. Um, So I know that sounds obvious, but there's a lot of the advice kind of I see out there that feels a little bit exasperating to me is just kind of assuming we all have the same experience. We're Mm -hmm. all all neurotypical. Yeah, exactly. So um, I think that's really important, especially if you, you know, follow any other like how to give up your phone plans and stuff. If it seems like it's always not working, it might be that that's just not for you um so yeah so active passive emotion all the emotional side of things I'd also say and this is this is kind of really rich for me to say when access to things are so difficult right now but if you really are struggling with kind of your mental health and you feel like your phone or social media might be to blame and as much as you can I'd really try and dig into like what that is and Mm. what else might be happening um like I, I did an interview the other day and um, someone asked me about the problems with eating that I write about and said like well how did you solve that and it was like well actually I just had to go through a really long annoying process <laughs> getting officially diagnosed and then having like um eating disorder therapy for a long time um and I think that's like I'm really not saying anyone everyone else would have to go through that there are kind of degrees of this kind of thing but I, I think a lot of people, myself included, might think we have a problem with technology. Like I could very well have yeah. thought I've got, yeah. But the technology like I, is the symptom. 
Yes. The overusing uh, technology is the symptom, not the cause. Yeah, and that's, uh, and yeah, you've actually just completely said it, but that I came across quite a lot of studies that kind of said, um, and I'm really boiling this down, but like, is it that more kind of depressed people spend time online or is it, no, wait, is it that yeah. being online makes people more depressed or just do depressed people spend more time online? Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, in the same way, like, is does being online give you ADHD or do people who have ADHD enjoy spending more time online? I bet there's so uh, many of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're, we're you know, with, with, with the things I write about in the book around like looking at loads of clean eating accounts and stuff constantly, it's like, I'm sure that exacerbated it. Um, I'm not saying it, it helped, but there are wider issues. So I would encourage people to get the help they can, which again, I kind of hate saying, cause I know it's really difficult to get help right now. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, such an important point. Yeah, but even then, I think, and I don't want to kind of say this, but like you, you might even, you might get better help rather than thinking it is your phone um, or it is social media. Um, you know, yeah. have have a wider look at things. Yeah, and also because again, like if you just pick up another book that says, and I'm not denigrating any particular program, but you know, this is how to stop using your phone you can mask the problem but you're taking away a vital coping mechanism that's actually been working for you and I know Russell Brand talks a lot about like addiction he's like you should be grateful for your addictions because they've kept you going they've kept you alive until now um yeah and so it's like don't take away what's working for you until you've got something you want to replace it with that feels as healthy and as as supportive as it can that was, I, I feel like I'm going to need to listen to that back and write that down because that was, you've just summed up. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. And yeah. we miss that piece a lot because we're so busy judging ourselves and the morality of how long we've spent on our phones. Yes. That yeah. we forget yeah. it's doing something for us, like you said, around emotional regulation. There were yeah. two other things I wanted to ask you before I let yeah. you go. Yeah. One I thought was so interesting when you talked about comparison in the Mm. book and how the people we are most likely to compare ourselves to are not like the Kardashians living a completely different life yeah it's not the people in our main life is it it's those ones in the middle yeah yeah so it's it's that kind of idea that um it's people that yeah it's people that are not distant from us, not close to us, but that we feel. And, and I think what it what what it is, is um, I could achieve that. Like I've got the means to achieve that. They're not celebrities. They're not completely out of my realm of understanding. And yet I the haven't. life. Yeah, I haven't. And, and, and why haven't I? Um, Do you know what that really made me think of, though? Um, I don't know how familiar you are with the Tattle Life Forums um not very but I've seen there's been a piece this week um statesman yeah so I I hadn't been very familiar with them I did look at them a little bit if I because I did want to cover bullying more in the book and didn't uh but yes so I'm I'm kind of familiar with them yeah for anyone (laughs) listening who's not um it is a space online dedicated to criticizing mainly bloggers and influencers um sometimes they also talk about the things they like about them but it's kind of mainly known for being quite vitriolic in criticism and I mean I equally don't try and spend much time there but when I have looked I've always been really fascinated by the fact that the people that seem to come in for the most criticism the people who have like multiple hundreds of pages are the people who are most relatable it's like Mrs Hinch yeah it's not the people who are living like the complete glamorous impossible life it's the people again it's that like 
real life, but like, you know, with the volume turned up yeah. to 11. It's that. I found that really interesting um, this week, actually, looking at all the talk around the New Statesman piece, um, that I, I don't know if it was a journalist that wrote it or someone else had made the comment of like, uh, um, that they were fascinated that a lot of people with, you know, just like maybe... 8,000, 9,000 followers, yeah. kind of um, not the huge numbers that they, they actually have loads of threads on there as well. So um, I found that really, really interesting to what we're saying, you know. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I've sort of picked up on, um, kind of mo- monitoring these sites over the years <laughs> in a slightly kind of morbid curiosity. Yeah. Um, is I think there's a real sense of community in there as well. Yeah. And what will happen is, people will come together this is just my part psychological theory it could be completely (laughs) wrong but like people come together around a a triggering event like a a drama in an influencer's life or a crisis and everyone kind of pitches in and and in that moment it's quote-unquote valid like there's something to talk about yeah the event then kind of fizzles out there's nothing left to talk about but that checking in and having that rapport and that sense of community with these people has become part of your daily routine and it's giving you something really positive even if the conversation's quite negative so then people don't want to let it go and that's when you start to see it becoming increasingly like a stretch to find things to criticize and they're like did you see the way she ate those crackers and like (laughs) (laughs) oh my god yeah you're so right and it's that thing of like um you know, when you try and see both sides of it and um, people try and say, well, yeah, we're, yeah, like you said, we're calling them out for valid reasons. Like mm. maybe they keep, um, I, I don't know, I can't actually think of any examples, but like keep advertising weight loss stuff or keep not labeling things ad or yeah. something like that. So like kind of valid criticisms, fine. But like you're saying, I think it's like they think that's what they're getting out of it, whereas actually what they're getting out of it is the, yeah, is the, is the kind of community. Yeah, yeah. and a sense of belonging. And possibly mm-hmm. the comparison with the people who should be the same as them but aren't, the influencer, yeah. like yeah. that that is why it's so comforting to then be with other people who feel the same way in relation to them because you're like, you know, these are the people I can compare myself with yes. and feel okay. Yeah, and, and you know... I. I don't know much about it, but I know there is a lot around like the psychology of kind of gossip and how good it can be for us. I mean, it's always awful person on the receiving end when it's something like tattle when they can actually see it. But, you know, there are, yeah, there are benefits to gossip. Um, Yeah. And so I guess it's like, yeah, again, definitely not taking the side of tattle here either. No, but yeah. Recognizing that like humans are, we're always driven by just trying to feel better really yeah trying to feel better and trying to feel like we belong like yes. what you just said there really struck me about like um that sense of community around like uh oh god again really not being on the side of tattle here but like that 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 sense of oh yeah she really annoys me too right I found someone else who gets annoyed by her kind yeah. of thing yeah I'm uh, not alone it's I'm not, not alone me. yeah which ah, oh, which makes me feel I, I know this might be bad to say but I do feel really sorry for some of the people whose lives seems very just um tied up in seeing what's going on in someone else's life it's like oh you could find community elsewhere come on yeah yeah yeah. and all that energy and and yes yeah you know wits and everything else that they're bringing into it could be used in different ways but I have to say like I've probably been there when I was younger like not in an online sense but definitely in that place where like other people's happiness was really hard for me to see so yeah oh definitely and especially you know when I yeah especially when I think about kind of low moments and it's like that yeah yeah 
So the the final thing I wanted to ask you, seeing as I have you here, is what do you think is next? Like, if you were to fast forward 10 years, what is the landscape of technology going to be looking like for all of us? Wow. Basically, it's like, do you know when you would watch Tomorrow's World yeah. and <laughs> they would say, in 10 years, we're all going to have a robot that cooks our dinner. Yeah. And then in 1990, we did not have a robot that cooks our dinner. Mm. I want you to go on the record. <laughs> <laughs> with your predictions in 10 years time we'll meet up and be like okay so let's <laughs> go um, the tick list <laughs> yeah um so I guess I uh as you can probably tell from the book I do try and be um optimistic about how we mm. can use things and the future um I think it's really easy not to be um and I think we could very easily say what the future might be like if things uh, continue to go a bit wrong yeah. um yeah maybe in, this in is terms... like your best hopes for the future then. yeah that's nicer yeah <laughs> and you know I was really passionate about um putting that at the end of the book like there's a chapter called the future which feels a little bit bolted on at times but um it's really not it's meant to be about like okay what next um yeah. and encouraging people to like own that because like we you know we can we can think about the future um yeah so um there's a guy called Tristan Harris. Uh, I can't remember where he used to work now. One of the really big tech companies. And um, I remember uh, listening to one of his TED Talks. I don't agree with everything he says, actually, but um, he, he's great in many, many ways. And he says, like, what, um, it'd be great if we could have a platform in the future that actually allows people to connect virtually and online, um, but then also, like, encourages offline connection too and brings people together with same kind of interesting things. So I, I can't really think on a kind of a granular level of how that would work, but mm. I'd love to see I'd love to see social networks that are putting people first. And I'm sure there could still be kind of business interests be met there but wouldn't it be great if like it that wasn't the first priority um and I don't know how that works with actually making money but um I think we don't have to kind of get rid of social media and I know a lot of people would disagree with me there but I think there are ways that we can build something that is a little bit more about um our needs and our worth and the value of our data um and that idea of data value is actually really interesting one of my favorite uh, podcast flash forward has an episode about um should we be paid for our yes. data it's um, such an interesting and a, conversation actually yeah uh, and I'm not sure where I fall on that but you know that's a really interesting thing to think about like can we kind of commodify our data and what does that mean how would that even work and yeah because um, there's that know. saying isn't there that like if if something's free like Facebook is free that's because mm. you're paying for everything like with yeah, your data the, with your clicks with product yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you're the product I think that's it. yeah 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 um I actually put that I put that in the book and I think someone thought I said it and I was like oh god no that's been swelling around for ages um yeah um uh yes yeah, so that and then um I'm really interested in obviously like VR, um, virtual reality and augmented reality and how elements of that could enter areas of our lives that we really wouldn't consider. So I think, again, what we said earlier really about um, virtual reality seeming very much like it's tied up in gaming right now, but the kind of possibilities are huge. And so virtual reality is very much just you put the headset on and you're in a virtual world then augmented or mixed reality um, can mean a bunch of different things, actually. So augmented reality can be just a filter 
on Snapchat or Instagram that makes you look like you've got like different colored hair or whatever. Mm. So it's adding some, it's augmenting what we see in the world basically. But there are just so many uses from that, from something like Pokemon Go um, to like using that in an enterprise situation to keep track of stock in a warehouse or something like that. Ah. So like the uses are just so expansive. Um, it's just something I'm writing about a lot at the moment actually. So I'm only just kind of dipping into what's coming again. But um, Apple is, I think it's gone from allegedly to definitely working on a number of augmented reality and mixed reality projects at the moment. So virtual reality and augmented reality has very much been kind of on the fringes. It's got much more popular now. The Quest 2's come out. Uh, but I think we're going to see loads more augmented reality when Apple gets involved, which it is doing. So I mean, that, um, the I'm not... possibilities there are so exciting, aren't they? Yeah, they really are. Like everything, like um therapy education and, and just everything um so I'm, I'm really positive about that there's obviously you know there's a lot of people that think it might be hype or just a trend or something like that but I think we might find it's not um it might not be like everyone's got an AR headset and everyone's like uh you know like in minority report where things are like flipping yeah. out from ads and things like that so it may, like maybe that may, maybe not but I still think we're gonna get some great uses out of it and it could actually make things better like so. it might just be if you're on holiday in a country where you don't speak the language and you can just use your phone and it will translate the menu in like on your screen can you imagine yeah and I mean actually there's um I can't remember what it is is it one of the google products there is something really good like that now where you can just translate things um really easily but as soon as yeah as soon as you get the augmented reality element you can there obviously just layer it over and see it on top of it rather than like open an app or something like typing that typing so, it into google translate one word at a time yeah. which is what I have to do when yes. I'm in Spain <laughs> Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. it's like it's awful. I don't want to order that one. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and just fun things like um um I don't know if you've seen like some of the episodes of Black Mirror. Yes. Yeah. So some of the like the interface are like so. <laughs> trying not to think about the really sometimes really despairing um, <laughs> use of the future. <laughs> yeah. Some of the like, kind of future tech there, and I mean in all kinds of science fiction movies and stuff. But that's one a lot of people seem to have seen where um there's kind of like keyboards and interfaces that are actually not really there they're augmented yes. so things like that I'm really excited about too um oh, yeah I feel like fun. I could keep talking yeah. about well <laughs> we will do another podcast in 10 years and we'll we'll check yeah. in on all of you it'll be a hologram <laughs> podcast that we will do everyone will be checking it out via augmented reality it's going to be great yeah we'll meet on some like alien beach that we've created virtually <laughs> yeah. yeah I can't wait and I'm gonna look so good in my bikini and <laughs> In the virtual world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Becca, thank you so much for this. Where can people... Hang on, tell us the name of the book and then tell us where we can find you. Uh, the book is called Screen Time. Um, and people can find me... So I'm Becca Caddy, B-E-C-C-A-C-A-D-D-Y on Instagram and Twitter. And that's my website as well, beccacaddy.com. Amazing, thank you. Thank you. You'll find the show notes for this episode at meandola.co.uk forward slash podcast 102. And you'll also find links to all of Becca's work and her book Screen Time that we mentioned, along with anything else we've talked about in this episode, including my Insta Retreat class. As always, I just so love to hear from you if you're listening and seeing your Instagram stories and your DMs and everything coming through when I put the first new episode up last week was just such a delightful, warm internet hug. 
So please do let me know if you're listening, what you're thinking and what your takeaways are from today's conversation. It is so much more fun when it's a two-way thing and I get to hear back from you guys as well. I will be back very soon with a new episode and I hope you have an awesome time till then. Lots of love.